We are back for our first edition of Sounding Off Soccer of 2023. And what better way to kick off the new year than uh, by having none other than Pittsburgh Riverhounds head coach Bob Lilly uh, to join me. Uh, it's really our annual once a year, usually at some point we sit down in, uh, in the off season and have a little get together and talk uh, briefly and kind of get caught up on, you know, the season that was, what's going on in the off season, talking about the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you know, what things will look like, the roster build. So I believe at this point, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds have, uh, have nine players signed to their roster ahead of the 2023 season. This is early January. We're talking right now, January 11th at the time of this recording. Uh, and Bob, I'm sure, is extremely busy uh, working on his roster build. They've had open tryouts this past week. And the, in addition, the Riverhounds um, um, are, will probably be announcing some additional free agent signings over the course of the next few days So uh, and next few weeks. So we'll get into that with Bob. Uh, so looking forward to this conversation here on Sounding Off on Soccer as we kick off the 2023 year. All right, this is John Krasinski with Bob Lilly here, Pittsburgh Riverhounds head coach. Bob, uh, it's 2023, and uh, yeah, I neglected to get you a, a a Christmas card, so we were just talking about that off the air. I, I, uh, and, yeah, so hopefully we'll make up for it with some good press here. Uh, for for the for you and for the Riverhounds over the you know the next twelve months, um, Bob. This off season, um, I guess my question for you, uh, my first primary question for you is, what's different about twenty preparing for twenty twenty three than maybe other seasons? You've obviously had five successful seasons in Pittsburgh, but what makes this off season different? Well, I mean, you know, we've been we've been solid, and I don't know if you can be solid in one or two years, but five years, uh, that's a pretty good run in terms of being solid in the playoffs. Obviously, every year we set a target to, you know, to win a championship, and, you know, I think we're really, really focused on, hey, how do we take that next step, and you know, I think uh, there's some momentum with here last year. Um, you know, in how we played the Birmingham and but certainly overall, although although we had a good season, it wasn't uh, as good as I think we could have had. We made a lot of changes. You know, we've. Our hopes is to make the team a little bit younger overall. Um, we had a, a very experienced group last year, and I think uh, that showed at times. But I think you know, the, the, the energy throughout the course of the year, I mean, we're, we're working really hard right now on, on identifying young players. Uh, when you look at the success of Ordonez last year, Nico Santos, Jamali Wade, and some of the other first-year players that that started games and played a lot of minutes. You know, I think we got a good group, and, and we're going to try to add to that this year. Uh, we just had a combine January 4th, and we have another one 
uh, January 23rd, 24th. We're, we already saw good players in the first combine. We're hoping to identify more. Um, of course, we're still looking at many options in the free agent market, and uh, we do have a couple of signings uh, coming up here shortly. And, uh, you know, we start on January 30th preseason, so it's right around the corner. But you know, I think we're we're hoping to make the team a little bit a little bit younger this year. Um, maybe a little bit more athletic overall and, uh, you know, add some some uh, dynamic players in the group that are, you know, that are in the you know, earlier stages. Yeah, and interesting, uh, when you say more athletic too, and you look at the team that won the USL championship this year, I remember when you – you were talking, you know, providing a scouting report on San Antonio as to how athletic they were, how you know b big they were up, you know, both defensively and in, in the back line, but also it, their forwards were just so big and strong and tough to deal with. Um, I know skill is, you know, you want the total packages, um, but was was that is that something that maybe where the the direction of where the league is going is it is that something you're seeing more of? Well, I think, I think you've got to account for that. You know, obviously, Canada Forbes and Robbie Mertz can, can survive and thrive in, in a big man's world. But, you know, you need all types. And, you know, we don't want to compromise our play. And, uh, but certainly, if we can get a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic in other areas of the pitch, that, that will help us. For sure. Uh, and also, you know, you talk about um... – yeah, I, I was actually one of the things that I noticed immediately once you, you re-sign, you know, you announced the re-signing re of seven, you know, bringing back seven players plus Kenny. Um, and and then, of course, the announcement um, of Joe Farrell coming, who played for you as well. Um, it does seem like a very young nucleus, uh, but you do have Farrell and Kenny. I mean, those are two veterans uh, that you, a lot of coaches would love to have, right? Absolutely, and, and I think, you know, they're up the spine. You know, Robbie is, is going into his fifth year, and, and there's no doubt he provides leadership with our group and, uh, you know, consistent uh, output steadiness in his game. But, you know, I think we have the right pieces. Uh, top of the pyramid certainly will bring in you know, the rest of our roster is not going to be filled in all with, with rookies. That won't get it done either, you know. So right. we expect to have a blend uh, the rest of the way of some, some guys, uh, young players, but also, you know, maybe some of those free agents are in the 25 to 80, 20, or sorry, 25 to 28 range as opposed to 28 to 32. You know, I mean, I, I think overall, though, we'll be younger and uh, hopefully better. You know, we'll, we'll take a step forward this year. For sure. Um, so in terms of uh, where you are right now, uh, it, you just mentioned that there'll probably be some free agent signings over the course of the next, you know, week or two. I, what What do you like to head into preseason with in terms of number of players? I know you've you've fluctuated over the years going in with anywhere from, you know, 12 or 13 or 14 to a little bit more. 
Um, but you've had a lot of success too, building your roster through the through the preseason too. Yeah, we're we're usually we're in that fourteen to sixteen range of signed guys. I know we've been a little bit under that on occasion, maybe one or two over that, but that's where I expect to be uh, going into camp, which means, you know, we'll be looking at eight, nine players, uh, you know, probably in camp making those decisions. Then when we see those players next to our players, uh, it, it, it really helps you make solid decisions uh, and know that players that are, that are meeting that standard at that time uh, likely will, will grow significantly in three months, six months, you know, because if, if they're hitting those marks early in preseason and we're checking those boxes, uh, there's, a, there's a good possibility they're going to have uh, positive seasons for us moving forward. Um, you know, we tend to come into camp with – let's say 15 guys signed and maybe 15 guys there on trial. And, you know, it's, it's survival of the fittest in, in some regards with those trialists. And they get first crack at it. And sometimes you get your answers pretty quickly. And sometimes, you know, in a certain position, you may not be hitting the marks that you want. And you may have to bring some other guys in in week two or week three. Uh, you know, I know we signed Jamali later on last year. You know, he'd been a couple other places, and Jamali Wade came in later in the process and was able to, to earn a contract later in the process. So, you know, we, we've been pretty consistent, and we still anticipate that mode going into preseason. Uh, it's worked well for us. And, you know, I've, I've typically done that wherever I've been. I mean, we hold these combines, and I believe in some of these young guys, what we see, uh, it's hard to make perfect decisions and judgments in two days at a combine, and that's why, you know, we, we want to screen them with our guys. But I believe in, in what the talent is out there. And if you have a bunch of guys signed, your, your combines, you could like players and you don't have any any room or opportunity to bring them in in preseason because you may have already made all those decisions in, in their position. So I think by leaving it open, it gives us a little bit more time in the market to judge exactly, you know, what the best fits are for our group moving forward and, uh, you know, occasionally you lose players because you don't pull the trigger on them early. But I, I think the benefits of waiting and, and making good sound decisions outweigh, you know, jumping at every player early. And once you've signed a guy, you, you can't reroute and say, you know, a couple of weeks later or a month later, oh, I wish I wouldn't have signed that guy mm. because I like this one better. So. Some of it is, is us just wanting to um, know as much about the market, and that's an ongoing process in the offseason that we continue to evaluate and, and try to get the best players available that fit into our system. 
Yeah, and it, it's interesting you say that too. I, this year, you know, at the college, it, things have sort of leveled out. There's been a lot of players that played their fifth years in college. I don't know. Is there more players out? Do you, is it seem? Is it? I don't know. I'm just curious in terms of what the college, you know, the draft provided for the MLS players. It seems like more players are going to pl- sign with MLS teams. It seems like out of the draft because of maybe because of MLS next or um, or there's still a lot of factors up in the air or how is all that going to shake out? Five years ago, there was no League One. Right. The the thought of of MLS next hadn't even materialized yet. So there's way more teams. Uh, Right. The market is is definitely changed. Uh, It's more volatile, if you will, with you know, what to expect. You know, we're still trying to learn those things and, and, and observe and, and adjust yearly. Um, yeah, a lot of times in the past, players uh, may get released from an MLS team and they would immediately become available to us. Uh, that's not the case so much anymore. Maybe an older player um wouldn't necessarily be steered down to have the, the MLS second team. But now, you know, a lot of players, good young players that may be in MLS camps may, may become or may get released. But in a lot of cases, they'll they'll go straight into the MLS, MLS next team, the, the, the club's second team. So uh, you've got the portal system in the college game. So in some cases, you have players that – done well, they've looked to move to bigger colleges or, you know, change uh, change their environment for their fifth or sixth year. To be honest, those guys in college, it seemed like we were thinking about three years ago that somehow they're still playing in college, so it's it's (laughs) hard to even keep track of who's who's, uh, who's out. Dan Bishop does a a really good job of Mm -hmm. trying to you know, piece that puzzle together and, and, you know, gather information we need for scouting purposes on college players. Yeah. You know, we're all we're all calling and talking to our contacts in the college game, but also uh, with the, you know, there's a lot of free agents here, year after year at our combine. We just have there were players that have been with MLS clubs, players that have been with League One teams, NISA teams, championship teams, along with all the college players. So, you know, that that's five different sources uh, of players, even some foreign players uh, in that, you know, maybe were pros over in Europe. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of players out there, and that's the reason, you know, we want to make sure we're screening. I mean, if you... If you look at three right backs uh, in the off season, then yeah, you're going to take the best one. But if you look at if you if you see ten that you like, you know you get a you got, you got a better uh, mm-hmm. better spread of players to, to to hopefully find something better. You know they have to fit into our system. They have to have the right measurables. Uh, you know. You're hoping they're, they're hard work and coachable, you know, tactically can figure things out. 
uh, size is a bonus in some positions more than others. Um, all those things, all those things matter, and even how we want to disperse the money in our budget. Uh, you know, if we spend a lot of money in one area, then then maybe we're looking for a younger player in, in, in another area, certain position. So, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but uh, you know, I like where we're at right now. I thought the first combine went well. I'm excited about seeing some guys in this second combine. And, uh, you know, we're we're anxious to get preseason started because you know. It, it, it becomes, you know, becomes real at that point. You know, the decisions are only a short period away. I mean, right now we're, we're almost, we have a lot of good ideas, and uh, but we're, we're not, we're still in the discovery phase in some ways. You know, we'll, we'll stay in that phase until we get into preseason. Uh, then we're, at the evaluation, I mean, decisions have to be made. I think that we're, you know, really trying to pinpoint uh, decisions and, and, and sign contracts. So, I mean, that's it's the same as we've had other off seasons. Obviously, there's, there's small things that change because of the market, but you know, we do feel good about uh, how the off seasons progress so far. And on that note, too, you'll jump into a preseason. You'll probably have about a month and a week, maybe, right? And then right. get into the season. And then all of a sudden, it's it's a looks like a pretty rigorous start to the season. You've done this before. We've had, I mean, there were seasons where you had four straight road games to open. I remember, you know, different. Uh, it's it's part of the deal. You know, I think Pittsburgh, um, I know I talked to Jeff Garner and the schedule-wise, it's nice to have that a lot of home games in the summer when the weather is good and the fans can come out. So I guess that's kind of pick your poison type thing. But in terms of um, for you preparing for, you know, what is it? Six out of the first eight or seven of the first nine games on the road. A lot of travel seems like Western conferences back into the equation or has been in the equation now. Um, you know, how do you prepare for that heading into 23? I mean, you know, previously I coached in, you know, Montreal, Vancouver, Hershey, uh, Rochester, all northern type cities that it's a little bit colder. And, you know, so I, I'm used to playing more games only on the road. Uh, I think it, as a club, we've played more, you know, if you look at the first 10 games of the year, I'm pretty sure we've got more road games. So. It's, it's somewhat predictable uh, in terms of how we lay out the schedule. Uh, I don't necessarily look at it as, you know, a, a, a big disadvantage. You certainly want to get some results there, and you want the team to gel, and you want the team to grow. Um, you have more home games steered into the middle part of the season or the end of the season, and I think going on the road sometimes early in the season and getting some big results uh, can really help a team. You know, they're together. You know, you build that chemistry. And, you know, I think you, you, you do that more going on the road and going into hostile environments. So for me, I, I try to look at 
uh, the opportunity there to get off to a good start and know uh, that we have more home games coming up, you know, in front of in front of us as the season goes on. So, you know, we'll we'll do everything we can to get the guys ready and hopefully get off to a good start. Even though, yeah, it'll be you know we'll have to have a good preseason so we don't find the fall too far behind the eight ball right out of the gate. Yeah, and getting off to a good start. Like I said, I know you. You know, even last year, um, maybe some of the road results weren't all great, but then you had to go play a road, couple road playoff games, and it felt like that didn't really seem to phase phase the guys uh, on the road. No, we 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 were, you know, we were playing well at the back end of the season, and, and you know, we should have had a few more results at the back end where. Maybe we lost 1-0 to San Antonio. We tied Sacramento. But we were playing really well at that point. I knew we were peaking, uh, you know, and it showed in, in, you know, the result of Birmingham. You know, Louisville's a game that was stick with us for a while, being up 2-0 late, letting that game get away from us. But, you know, our form was good. Um, you know, last year I, I – you know, my hope is if we can get off to a good start, because last year we got off to a good start, and I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves and maybe got, you know, a little bit complacent and, you know, really didn't perform well in the middle third of the season. It was a stretch where, you know, we, we, we dropped too many points and, you know, lost some of the momentum and uh, positive you know, position we were in from the good start, and you know it was it was a, it was a tough run in terms of the teams we played. So, unfortunately, we got nicked out for a home game right at the end of the season by Birmingham. Um, but I don't even think we should be in that position. You know, we 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 have to a good start, but we need to be able to maintain. Uh, a more consistent season. And I think that's where, you know, the energy of the group and, and getting a little bit younger may help us do that. Yeah, and I guess there's two sides of that, right? The young players maybe have never played a 34-game um, pro season, but then on the other side of it is, like you said, the, having those legs, um, having an Arturo Adonez last year late in the playoffs and uh, getting into the playoffs with – a lot of the young guys <laughs> carried you through the Birmingham game and, and the extra time game in Louisville too. Yeah. Yeah. They had to depend on them and they got better through the year. That will happen with young guys. They don't always, you know, get chances early. We try to, we try to use our roster and, you know, for one of the big clubs and better clubs in the league, I think, we, you know, we, 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 do a good job of getting young guys out there and developing players and giving them chances. You know, you look at the success of Ben Kaisel or Leo Griffin or Moltz. You know, we've had a number of those types of players that have been able to come in and contribute early. And, um, you know, every great player out there was a, was a, was a young player at one point. And you don't really grow or get to those top levels without minutes, you know? So 
got to identify the right ones. It'll take some time, but, you know, us being willing to play some of these guys, you know, we, we hope everyone on the roster is ready from playoff time because over a long season, you never know who you're going to need. Right. So we try to we try to help the whole group develop. All right, Bob. I'm I appreciate um your time today. I have a couple more questions and then we'll hopefully wrap this up in a so you okay. can get back to doing getting your roster built um to the point where you want to. But just a couple general questions. You know, this off season was really unique with the World Cup and everything and soccer definitely had a you know, uh got got into the center of a lot of people's attention, but you know, one of the most uh, things that's talked about the most is penalty kick shootouts, the format. Um, I just I'm curious as to your thoughts on, you know, how that game's being decided by PK shootouts. And if that's, you know, what what's the long term answer there? I think is it just the way the game is should be played or are you open to I know when you were first in um you know, back in the A-League days and, uh, they, you know, they did kind of different types of shootouts. I, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think they've they've probably discussed it heavily for like the last 50 years now. It's not, it's not more. They've been doing it that way for so long. So my guess is it's not going to take long soon. Hands of the game, uh, you know, to play until the goal is scored, um, you risk injury. You know, it's not like you have unlimited sub- substitution in soccer. Um, you know, I think players and coaches don't all love it, you know, but I think fans, I think there's drama involved with it, and, and I think. You know, to extend the game. I mean, a lot of times goals are scored in the overtime. Zero zero with Cincinnati. They got a couple of goals in the overtime. I mean, the Louisville game. Both teams had chances in the overtime. It just the game reminds me tied two two. But there was a good chance that 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 game could have been decided before it goes. I think playing the extra thirty minutes a lot of times will. Teams are fatigued. The game opens up. You know, a lot of times the game will be decided before it gets to penalty kicks. But you know, you, you've you've got to you've got to make a decision at some point. You know, or you will put the players at risk if you're trying to play. You know, 180 minutes because no one can score. Right. <laughs> in the, the extra time, and, and so short of changing the format, you know, taking a player off the field every 10 minutes or, you know, there's other ways to do it. But if you think of soccer as being the world sport, how long the World Cup has existed, um, it's tough to think that if they haven't, if they haven't figured uh, or, or taken that decision at this point, I think uh, for history reasons, you may you may have PKs for the next fifty years, and you know we won't we won't be here to see what happens after that. But right. I, I don't see it. I don't see it changing based on it's become such a staple. And I, I think if the fans didn't like penalties, but most fans, 
you know, one of the great things about soccer is the game is defined. You know how many minutes it is. There's not all these TV timeouts. Right. You know, and so a lot of fans of soccer don't necessarily want to sit through a four-hour baseball game. Right. So I think, you know, the extra 30 minutes builds the drama. And and then, you know, after 30 minutes, okay, let's get it decided. You know, the goalkeepers can make it exciting when they start making saves. It it can get, uh, it can be very unpredictable. I mean, the shooters left in Birmingham, they had to make both, and we, we had to miss both to go to extra rounds. And, you know, those four events happened. <laughs> and then it, then it took another five rounds and wasn't decided until the 10th round, you know. So uh, I know, you know, I was struggling to even watch it. So, <laughs> but, I, but I think... I think we all were. <laughs> I think the fans and everything that was, uh, that mm-hmm. was exciting, especially because we won... Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think your players. I don't. I think it's a skill. So I'm not. I'm not someone that just says, "Oh, it's just a coin flip." Right. Know, I think there is a skill, and uh, you know, Jamali was able to make three big saves and help this win. That Louisville made keeper made a really good save on, on Griffin. Yeah. And then all the shooters were perfect in Louisville. We just unfortunately couldn't get that one save. But, uh, you know, hopefully for us, if we get back in that position, we take care of it 90 minutes or 120. Because if you ask me, no, I'm never playing for penalties. I, I would much rather win it and not go to penalties. And I think that's the key. San Antonio won a championship. They didn't go to penalties all the right. So that's, that's, that's the safest way and the best way to win it. Just yeah. win the games in 90 minutes and, and go home, you know. So. Yeah. All right, my last question um, is, get you know, on that note, segue to – if there – any rules or things in terms of the, the way the game's played? If you had one wish, wish list, top thing, in terms of maybe what, what rules change would you like to see, um, you know, either at the USL championship level um, or across the board? Well, for me, I don't know if it's going to change back. I don't. I like five subs. I mean, if I talked about one thing, I, I, I believe the modern game, you should have five subs and not three. And I think, uh, you know, we have young players. And, you know, you have three subs, you, you're, you're not likely to change the dynamic of the game at halftime with two subs and only have one left the entire second half. It's, it's somewhat risky. Uh, you know, coaches are way more cautious. I don't think if, if guys aren't subbing in and out, there's only three substitutions. So, you know, you can't sub five separate guys at different times. I mean, I don't think it chops the game up, but I think the ability to change the tactics and, and develop players and, you know, we, we all carry rosters 24, 25, some teams more. 
you know, you only dress 18 in our league. You know, I think five subs is, is the right way to go. So that that's a big one for me um, as opposed to, you know, I we'll see. You know, they're still, they're still going with five subs in, in, in most leagues around the world. So I'm, I'm hoping it stays with that. Yeah, in the World Cup, I was. It was weird to see it happen in the World Cup as well. I don't think it detracted in any way. Right. Right. You know. So were you? I uh, think, I think yeah. the tempo of the game mm-hmm. thirty years ago, twenty years ago, fifty years ago was much slower. I know it's part of the sport that endurance, and but when you look at the high level athletes and ranch you're putting. Uh, and certainly even a lot of leagues, top leagues around the world are playing a lot of midweek games with all the cup competitions. Even MLS will have that mini tournament with Mexican teams during the season this year. It means more games, more demands. If you look at Messi's career, you know, he's not playing 40 games a year. He's playing 75, 80. When you put all the cup competitions in the Champions League and games with Argentina and the national team, mm-hmm. the amount of games is, is a really high number. And I think ability to, you know, even with certain players, they play 70 minutes and they, they get a sub out, you know, on for them and save their legs. I mean, you know, I, I just think it's the best for the game. I still think you get a lot of injuries. Players pick up injuries. I think you need your roster. I think uh, soccer is a game that, that all the top teams have, you know, depth on their roster, quality players. And, you know, I, I do believe that a game can – can fall into a uh, into a rut, and neither team, you know, both teams are neutralizing each other, and the ability to change tactics or change players may, you know, may help change the dynamic of the game where you get, you know, a result. Uh, I think the five subs allows you to do a lot more in terms of that. So. Uh, but I think the players would 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 argue for five subs as well. Yeah. What what were your thoughts on the extended um, uh, stoppage time? Is that something we might see in other levels? Well, it makes sense. Um, but you know, you still have to account for it the right way. I mean, I actually think. Why do we why do we call it stoppage time? Right. Certain certain things with an injury just stop the clock. I think the college game has it right. Like it should be it should be a discretion. Because then there's no second guessing. Well, what was he adding stoppage time for? What was he not adding stoppage time? Anytime a ref feels uh, that a team's delaying, he can put his hand up, clock stops, blow the whistle to start it on a goal celebration, stop the clock, like, you know, and, and then you're not trying to guess at the end of the game. I mean, it's crazy. The announcers are like, well, I think it's going to be five or six, and it's eight. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that, you know, but I don't 
oh, maybe that's the mystery of the game. And, you know, it drives players crazy. Some refs, if they're, you know, if their interpretation of the time, the time is up, they won't allow a corner kick. Well, other refs, yeah. Other refs, if it's a corner kick and he's given four minutes and, and the ball went out of bounds before the four minutes, it could be 358. The corner kick may not be taken until 420 by the time someone gets over there and they'll allow it. So uh, it may take some of the, you know, and the, and the coaches are always screaming at the fourth official trying to get more time <laughs> or why hasn't the whistle blown. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the game's charm. Yeah, the, the gamesmanship, but, yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think that needs to be – it's frustrating if, you know, some games, you know, or some some refs or some some – uh, situations you're behind the eight ball and it seems like you know they're really short on the on the stoppage time and other times you're, you're winning the game and you're on the road and you're playing a team and you're getting eight minutes of stoppage time and you rest um, um, they're just not consistent in terms of how much time they're on you know, some will say, well, that's, that's part of the game, throw-ins. You know, even though some players will take 10, 15 seconds off the clock every time, that adds up. I mean, there's you know, the length of time it takes you to, to, to take goal, goal kicks. I mean, refs aren't good about enforcing. Keepers have six seconds to get the ball out of their hands. That never happens. Right. right. So, you know, what are they adding time for? You know, I don't, I don't know if anyone knows that, even the refs, because <laughs> they, you know, sometimes they, they may do different things in different games. It's not easy, but if you kind of had the understanding that, look, he doesn't have to stop it every time the ball goes out of bounds. We're not going to drag these games out, but he feels there's time wasting or, you know, on an injury or certain things, it's an automatic stoppage. And, and these are at the discretion of the ref, but everyone sees it. There's no mystery to it. Right. So I would be okay with that. You know, I mm -hmm. don't, I just, I just coach them up. Mm -hmm. Make sure hopefully they know the rules. Most of, most of them know they've played a long time, but, just try to look. That's that's the parameters we have to get a win. Let's figure it out. You know, you can sit and at the end of the day, um, you don't have a lot of control of that. You know, but I, but I, again, it's kind of like uh, the shootouts. You know, it's always been done that way. Stoppage time to a person that's never seen soccer. Mm -hmm. And okay, it's a ninety-minute game. They're gonna. What, what do you mean stoppage time? Like, they're going to look at you like you're an alien because they don't really understand that concept. That just play. Oh, there's four minutes of stoppage time. Yeah, but there was stoppages in the stoppage time. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, right. all, like imagine if John, you're on a date and you're trying to explain to a girl the offsides rule. <laughs> 
some of these things. It's 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 a challenge. So uh, we'll see. I mean, yeah. hopefully, uh, again, the best thing to do is get yourself a nice cushion. You know, mm-hmm. stoppage doesn't really affect you. Right. Well, but then it wouldn't be too much fun for the fans either because to see what a, you know, a late goal in, uh, you know, the way that the, the season ended last year, I mean, in the, in the, the Birmingham game and, you know, it's just, it wouldn't be fun with Bob without the, you know. No, and you may, and you may be right. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why they always say, you know, they, you got to clear people if they, if they take a dive, but you don't see the refs doing that often. Yeah. So there's always debate when you watch a soccer game. You know that wasn't a penalty. That was that was intentional. That wasn't that they weren't consistent from this goal to that. And I suppose you have that to a certain extent in all sports. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Bob, I appreciate your time. Uh, it's great to talk to you uh, again and to start the year. I appreciate your time today. But um, we'll definitely be seeing you probably out at Highmark Stadium and over at Montour uh, in the coming weeks or at least in the coming month. Um, and uh, g- good luck with getting the rest of the roster uh, put together. Thanks, John. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. And that was Bob Lilly, uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds head coach. And uh, just again, to wrap up, the interview uh, i just really appreciated bob's time as i said but you know one of the interesting things and this is uh, was a theme in uh when the hounds did announce their uh, what players were returning uh that i wrote about was that this is a is going to be a younger roster this year and there's no doubt about it uh if you hear what bob said uh he made it absolutely clear that this year they um they, they want to be a little bit younger overall. Um, and, you know, he pointed to the success of Arturo Ordonez and uh, Nathan Dos Santos and Jamali Waite, some good players that came through last year uh, and, and other young players, too, that helped carry the Hounds uh, to a playoff win in Birmingham and almost pulling off a playoff win in Louisville. Um and he mentioned, too, you know, the roster last year probably was heavily reliant on maybe some more players in the 28 to 32 to 33 four-year-old range. And that he was probably looking to keep that range, make that range maybe a little bit lower this coming year, 25 to 28-year-olds. So um, very interesting. So if you look at the, the Hounds roster... The roster now includes nine players. That includes Jamali Waite in goal, very young. Uh, all of the players, uh, the seven that they brought back, were under the age 26 or under. Um, Jamali Waite, obviously, in goal, uh, 23. Um, Arturo Odonez, Nate, Nathan Dos Santos, Luke Biasi, and Joe Farrell. So Farrell's the only veteran quote player who's been in the league more than two years, Um and he's coming in from Phoenix, and he had played for Bob uh, in Rochester. So a uh, veteran presence, a former All-USL second team selection when he was in Phoenix, or actually when he was in Rochester his first couple of years under Bob. And and then the midfield is Mark Yabara, Robbie Mertz, and Canardo Forbes. So Canardo Forbes obviously is the exception at 34 years of age. Uh, and then forward Albert Dequa, again, the Hounds – 
primary central target forward a year ago. And again, uh, once again, under the age of 25, I believe he's 25 or 24, 25. So uh, that's your makeup of the core of the returning group. And so that that's really where they're going. Uh, and, and so who's gone? Alex Dixon over 30. Dane Kelly was signed. I think that, you know, I think we all universally Understood that's just something that didn't work out. Uh, and, you know, he was over 30 and uh, USL championships all-time leading scorer. I, say, doubt, I don't think, although Bob said that he will be bringing in free agents um, and you have to have that balance that you're not probably going to see too many, you know, 30-plus-year-olds, too many more 30-plus-year-olds signed to the Riverhounds roster. I think this is, this is going to be where they're going to go. And then this is what... Um, the, probably the big change from last year to this year is going to be the age and makeup of the roster. And it, obviously a lot of confidence in the leadership though, when you have Canardo Forbes, you have Robbie Mertz and now Joe Farrell. I think those three are certainly <clears throat> going to be players that will, and potentially we'll see some other additional free agent signings um, that might bring in some veteran leadership as well. But that's probably where the Hounds are, are looking at uh, in terms of their most tenured uh, senior uh, experienced players. So, um, so yeah, so it was uh, good to hear from Bob uh, along that line uh, and just to get his perspective on some of these other topics. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't have a chance during the uh, regular season to talk about things like some of the rules changes and, and, and whatnot. So, so, um, so good Good interview with Bob Lilly today, and uh, we're looking forward to another quick turnaround. I will have another um, interview coming up uh, soon, another edition of Sounding Off Soccer, Sounding Off on Soccer, um, coming up uh, in the next day or two. As uh, I am looking forward to talking for the first time, uh, the new head coach at Robert Morris University, Jonathan Potter, uh, was named uh, head coach at RMU uh, over in December and about three weeks ago and uh, look forward to initially talking to him about that program. And, you know, Jason O'Keefe, who is a friend of the podcast, a friend of Pittsburgh soccer. Now, Jason O'Keefe has moved on, um, left uh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, to, for wanting to be closer with his family. And, and, you know, I can't blame him. Uh, so he's back in North Carolina, but, uh, Jonathan Potter will take on the Robert Morris University uh, head uh, men's soccer coaching position in the Horizon League. And under Jason uh, O'Keefe, um, they, they certainly improved uh, over the course of the last few years. So it'll be interesting to see if they can take those next steps uh, and become you know, competitive to compete for a championship in the Horizon League and potentially earn that elusive NCAA uh, birth, which we haven't seen Robert Morris uh, men's soccer get in. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. They have made it to the NCAA tournament a few times in their past, but it, it has been a while. So um, I'm sure that's among the many of the goals that Jonathan Potter um, will be setting. So looking forward to that conversation with Jonathan Potter. I look for that to come later this week. All right. Thanks uh, again for joining me on the first edition of 2023 sounding off on soccer. This is John Krasinski with Pittsburgh Soccer Now.